0: episode 55 of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we inspire, motivate, and educate business owners and entrepreneurs into success. That's what we do. We help folks launch, grow, and maximize. In this episode, I talk with the one and only Paul Newberger, the cold call coach. Paul talks with us about how cold calling is not dead, but is alive and well. We talk about rebounding from failure and what motivates Paul into success. Paul gives us some insights into what makes a successful cold call. And we also learn about Paul's love for ties. And Paul tells us about how his life sucks. All right, let's dig in. All right, Paul. Can I get it? oh, yeah?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Awesome, awesome. I'm going to have to watch it. You might try try to steal my job there.
1: (laughs) I may. I may. You never know.
0: Well, first of all, Paul, let me say thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be on the show. I typically like to open uh, the show with the guest giving kind of a little bit about themselves and helping us to get to know them a little better. But I have one caveat behind that. I say, you you know, feel free to go all the way back to the day you were born or you can start more present day. Tell us about yourself.
1: So, yeah, it was a uh, a cold, blustery day on December 13th, 1982, 10.58 uh, p.m. to be exact, on a Monday evening when I decided to grace the world with my presence. And I think that's where I'm going to stop because I don't want to bore your audience to death. But no, thank you for having me. It's, it's very exciting to be here and appreciate you uh, inviting me on the show. Yeah, a little bit about myself. I would say I am a glutton For punishment. I don't know where that started. I don't know if my folks just dropped me on my head a lot as I was a kid, but I've just been drawn to things that are hard, not just accepting things that are hard, reacting to things that are hard, but actually seeking out things that are hard. Um, I was a professional fundraiser for several years because raising money is hard. I love public speaking because public speaking is hard. And I absolutely adore cold calling because it's one of the hardest things on planet Earth to be good at. Uh, I have been in sales my entire career. I think I'm a natural born salesman. Don't hold that against me. But I, I just think I have been. I'm, I'm extroverted. I love people. I'm always uh, mixing it up with individuals. And I think that's part of the reason why I never bought into that myth. And it is a myth that cold calling is dead because I've been taught you got to play to your strengths. Well, if cold calling's dead, I'm dead. So I've, I've always done it. I've always embraced it, and it's led me to this business, and I'm probably having more fun than I'm legally allowed to have, and uh, love working with individuals, love being in this space, and happy to be uh, talking to you today about it.
0: Awesome, awesome. I was reading in your, um, your background a little bit, and I saw that, uh, as you mentioned before, you did professional fundraising, which is interesting to me. Uh, and then it also says you were you was a student phone a caller? Yeah,
1: so I my wife will tell you that I love the sound of my own voice, and there might be a smidgen of truth to that. But when I was a sophomore, I went to Ripon College, uh, Ripon, Wisconsin. Graduated in two thousand five, and it was my sophomore year where I kind of realized, hey, you know, these books aren't free, this tuition isn't free. The one date that I might go on during the course of my four years might require a financial outlay. So I realized hey, I needed to get an on-campus job, and I remember I was walking to the cafeteria. My sophomore year and they had two of the most beautiful co-eds I've ever seen. Good sales strategy there, ripping. And I, I approached the, the table and I just got to talking to them and they were talking about this thing about the phonathon. And they said, Well, you get paid to, to call people. So I heard blah blah blah. I get paid to talk. This is outstanding. So I, I signed up for it. And it turns out the shelf life of student phonathon callers is about 48 hours. They sit down, they realize what they signed up for, they go, uh uh-uh, I'm out of here. Well, I, I loved it. I loved talking to people. I loved building relationships. Some of my calls lasted 30 minutes, and I forgot what I was calling for because we had so much fun laughing about stuff. Uh, I was practically running the program as a senior. And uh, when I graduated, I double majored in biology and chemistry, minored in physics, and my intent was to go on to medical school. I thought being the orthopedic surgeon of the Green Bay Packers would be a pretty stellar job to have. And uh, a member of the Ripton College Advancement Office tapped me on the shoulder, said, "You know you're going to be in school for another fifty seven years. Why don't we give you one year of real world experience first? I said, "Sure, I'd love to make sixteen grand a year. Why not?" But I did it for I did it, loved it, found my passion in life. and was a professional fundraising for about eight years, and it all started with the student phonathon.
0: Wow, so talk a little bit about recognizing early on what your strengths are and how that uh, kind of help you develop the, the concept or the idea for the business that you are that you're running right now.
1: Yeah, and it's it's hard to describe outside of the fact that it just fit. You know? And I and I, I know you're really passionate about what you do, LZ, and it comes through in your program, so you probably know what I'm talking about, but it just fit. People hated the phone-a-thon. They lasted two days and they quit. I couldn't get enough of it. I was signing up for extra shifts. Uh, I would have probably done it for free if, uh, if I could have, because I was just, I loved talking to these total strangers. I loved the challenge of building rapport quickly. I loved it when we had a lot in common. We hit it off, and they eventually gave money, not so much because of the college, but because, hey, you know, if this is a product of Ripon College, if this guy is receiving some kind of scholarship, I want to continue to help students like this. And I just became addicted to it. I became addicted to the challenge. I became addicted to the feeling I got when I did well with that. So I took cold calling everywhere I went. So professional fundraising for about eight years, I was cold calling the entire time. I ended up as the vice president of Marion University in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Plenty of cold calling there. Uh, became a financial advisor. I did that for a couple years. Uh, there was um, a, a death in the family and it just made me realize it, it's common sense, but until it hits you really on the home front, uh, you, you just kind of realize that life is fragile. Life can change at any given time. And, you know, if people don't prepare for that, there, there could be a lot of consequences. So I got into professional, uh, finan- I got into financial advising. I did that for about three years. Now, whereas once I was cold calling when I was salaried, now I'm cold calling for my very existence. Now it's a different ball of wax here. I just can't evolve into the deep end. So I've always been good. How do I become Great. So to my credit, I will take credit for this, I kept trying new things. I tried new scripts, new approaches, new methodologies, new value-add propositions, new paradigms. And I'm not going to say that I was an overnight sensation. Some of these things were freaking dumpster fires initially, but I was tenacious enough to keep trying. And after a certain period of time, I kept finding more and more things that worked. The no's got fewer and fewer until they barely ever happened. And that's when individuals and organizations started contacting me. One guy actually said, "Dude, I'll pay you to sit in your office and listen to you make calls." I said, "Okay, weirdo. <laughs> you know that's a little odd, but but it, it gave me it gave me this mindset that heck, there could be a business opportunity here. Financial advisors are a dime a dozen, but a cold call coach, really? I don't know too many of those guys out there. So I created the business in April 2015. I went full time in October of 2015." Now we got clients in 33 states, two countries. I work with professional sports teams, Fortune 500 companies, and we haven't looked back. So it's been quite a ride.
0: Awesome, awesome. One thing that I always like to ask uh, business owners and entrepreneurs because I like to try to get into uh, into uh, into your head a little bit. What? What's your definition of success?
1: Lz, you don't want to be in my head. Let me assure you that <laughs> that that's not a that's that's a scary place to be most of the time. Um. What is my, what is a definition of success? That is a good question. Um, for me, I, I think a defi- I mean, success is really subjective. I mean, somebody's definition of success might just be getting out of bed in the morning. Somebody else's definition of success is closing a seven-figure deal. So you're going to get a lot of different answers to a lot of different questions. I think my definition of success would be hitting a goal outside of my comfort zone that pushed me and challenged me, whatever it is. If that was, I'm going to get my lazy butt to the gym seven days in a row, that would be a definition of success because I don't do that anywhere near that right now. If, if it was for me, uh, my definition of success is to um, uh, raise my revenue goal by 15%. Now, it should be something outside of your comfort zone. It should be a bit of a stretch. And I think if you achieve that, Uh, that is a worthwhile definition of success as far as i'm concerned gotcha
0: i totally agree i'm a simple guy i I think that anytime you set a goal and you achieve it that's success and so uh, greater success is just a combination of smaller successes so uh that's i just try to keep it keep it simple yeah well said how do you find inspiration
1: i look in the mirror every day i'm just kidding Um, how do I find, I, I, I tell a lot of bad jokes, LZ, in case you haven't already noticed, um, inspiration. Well, I mean, I, I guess I'll give you two, I'll give you honest answers. I'll give you two of my honest answers. Number one, I'm a deeply spiritual guy and God has made me a once for all time person, just like you LZ are a once for all time person, just like all of your listeners are a once for all time person. There has never been a human being, ever before, like LZ, ever. And there never will be. And if you really think about that, that is, ex- that is extraordinarily humbling. And I just think the best way to show appreciation for a gift, imagine this, imagine, I mean, I'm a, I'm a tie connoisseur. I've got hundreds of ties. Uh, imagine LZ is very smitten with me and he says, Paul, you're the best guest I ever had on the radio program. I'm going to thank you by buying you a tie. You spend months going to department stores, months going through online catalogs. Finally, you find the right tie. After hundreds of hours of searching, you give it to me. And over the course of the next year, I never once wear it. You never see me with it. I There's no pictures of me with it. It's in my closet, and I left it there. Well, just think about how that would make you feel. You put all this time, energy, and effort to finding the perfect gift, and I never used it. To me, that's the way it is with faith. God has given us amazing gifts, perfect gifts, once-for-all-time gifts. And if you don't use that gift, appreciate those gifts, and really lead with those gifts every single day, I I, I think you are not showing full appreciation for the blessings that you have. Now, God didn't make me perfect. Far from it. My wife will give you a list a mile long. But I am, I I mean, I'm very extroverted. I'm very comfortable in my own skin. I'm uh, an entrepreneurial spirit, innovative. I use those gifts every single day because I think it's a waste not to, because I've got this combination that I think is going to make me successful. So that, that's the first answer to that question. Every day I wake up, I want to be a good steward of these gifts that he's blessed me with. But number two, I have three beautiful children. I've got a wife. I married way up. <laughs> I can't tell you, I can't look how high up I married. And um we just had our third baby a month ago, baby girl. Her name is Regan, And this family is 100% dependent on me. My wife is a stay-at-home mom. My kids have a long future ahead of me. I, ahead of them. I cannot let them down. Uh, I want to not only talk the talk, I want to walk the walk. I want my kids to see that dad got up every morning, dad took calculated risks, dad worked extremely hard, dad was passionate about it because I think that's going to transfer onto them as they grow up. So my inspiration comes from my faith in God and from my family and I think when you put those things together, that's all I need to get out of bed every morning.
0: Let's um, switch gears a a little bit. And I'd like to know, what's your superpower?
1: My superpower, I would say, is in a ridiculously short amount of time, I can get just about anybody to meet with me over the phone. Now, that's not x-ray vision. That's not the ability to fly. But I think when you look at the national cold call success rate, it's about 10%, depending on the statistics that you look at. One out of 10 calls result in an appointment. One out of 10 calls result in dedicated time, a potential for a sale, that type of thing. Mine is many, many, many times higher than that. I I think it's surprising if one out of 10 say no to me, to be honest. And it's not because I'm smarter than anybody else. It's not because I'm more articulate than anybody else. It's not because I'm more charismatic than anybody else. I'm just more creative than just about everybody else. And when I say creative, I don't mean creative lie. I don't mean creative manipulate. I don't mean creative mislead. I I understand human psychology and positioning the cold call in a way that taps into somebody's self-interest and self-preservation in a way that is true, ethical, and above board is the only way to cold call. And I'm amazed at how many individuals don't do that, how many organizations don't do that, how they lead with their own self-interest, their own self-preservation. Some of these organizations downright lie, I'll be honest. And I I don't see how any of that stuff is going to be conducive to short and long-term success. And I I just think when, when people watch me do this, they're amazed. They're amazed at the creativity. They're amazed at the simplicity And they're amazed at how a total stranger in about 15 seconds readily agrees without objections to me. I would say that's my superpower.
0: I want to get inside your head again. And what's your secret to being productive? How do you do what you do in a a productive way?
1: I would say really two things. One is pre-planning and the other one is time management. Let's start with pre-planning. My life is nuts. Uh, It's a good problem to have, but I'm booking out about a month and a half in advance at any given time with so many clients in so many different states. I'm doing an awful lot of travel, way more than I had before. And if I go to bed that night before, not knowing what I'm doing the next day and when, my day is chaos. Not just who am I meeting with, but if I've got a 15-minute break from 3.15 to 3.30, how am I spending that 15 minutes? And I might say, I'm going to make a call or two. Well, who am I going to call? So I know exactly where I need to be, what I'm doing. And when I have these blocks of time, be it 15 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, I know exactly how I'm feeling that time. If that's an email time, great. If that's project time, what projects? If that's call time, who am I calling? Um, if it's, Am I just going to be responding to voicemails that come in or am I going to be proactively reaching out to people that I need to get in touch with? Every minute of my day is planned. That doesn't mean that always turns out that way. You have fires sometimes, and you've got things that were not foreseen. But before I go to bed, I know exactly what my intent is, and I'm pretty good at sticking to it. So that optimizes efficiency. But then also time management. There's never enough time in the day to do all your stuff, and there never will be. There's always going to be another email. There's always going to be another voicemail. There's always going to be another LinkedIn message. So it's all about priorities. And I'll give you one quick example. I've got a huge LinkedIn following. And one of the things that I do, I've just found my sweet spot with all the different people and all the different time zones is I'm up at three o'clock every morning, so I'm an early riser. But my sweet spot for LinkedIn posts is between 5:45 a.m. and 6:15 a.m. I always, always, always do my LinkedIn post within that 30 minute block because that's working for me all day, all day. While I'm doing training, that's getting views. While I'm making my calls, that's getting likes. While I'm doing emails people are engaging on that. So it's just optimizing efficiency, optimizing effectiveness, utilizing time management, and knowing what I'm doing and when.
0: Now, one of the things that I always find interesting is how 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 much leadership impacts business owners and entrepreneurs. Um, talk a little bit about that and how important leadership is in your business, both at home and in your business.
1: Well, leadership is, leadership is huge. I mean, the leader sets the tone and it's one of the things for me as my organization has grown. I think the mark of a good leader is when people follow you, not because they not because they have to, but because they want to. And again, I, I say this stuff with all due humility. It's just the things that they come back to me. But what I hear is people want to join my organization from an employee perspective. They want to join my organization from a client perspective, because they feel that there's nothing they cannot accomplish because that's the vibe that's given off. I believe that Cold Coin is alive and well because I believe in doing things that are hard and I inspire other people to do things that are hard. I believe that Cold Coin is alive and well because I think you, LZ, I think all your listeners, I think anybody has it within them to dig deep and master this very difficult skill set. Well, if you hear that message, And it's conveyed in a certain way that somebody believes it, somebody who's credible, somebody who kind of lives and embodies that message. It's hard not to have that rub off on other people. So I believe that the leader is the tone setter. I believe that a lot more people are watching the leader sometimes than the leader gives it credit for. And people around you are going to start acting like you, thinking like you, and embodying the values that you have, uh, whether positive or negative. So it's very important to set the tone. Right off the get-go, because that that influences a lot of people.
0: One last question, and and then after this, I really want to uh, I want to take a quick break, and then when we get back, I really I, I want to dig deep deep into cold calling, what it is, um, some of the strategies around it, and how you help people get better at it. Uh, so the the question I, I'd like to know is, uh, how do you market your business?
1: Well, I well two reasons. One, I mean, I'm the cold call coach, so it's it's pretty easy for me to cold call into an organization that I want to. Build a relationship and and work with. Uh, I know that's a blessing that not a lot of people have. So that's one thing that me and my my sales team uh, utilize quite effectively. But outside of that, I mean, social media is huge. Um, I I'm I don't know if if it's something I should say that I'm proud of, but I am proud of it. Outside of my website, I have never paid for marketing ever, and it's already what mid July where we've already surpassed all of last year's revenue goal, and I haven't put a dime. In marketing, no Facebook ads. I'm not even I'm not even a premium member on LinkedIn. I just got the normal membership. But we market ourselves extremely well on social media. We use success stories. We use testimonials. We use um, educational pieces. We're very good at piquing curiosity. We engage our followers extremely well. And I think our social media presence is the number one reason why we're growing at the rate that we are. But the other way that we market ourselves too is you're never going to get something unless you ask for it. And we ask for testimonials. We ask for referrals. We ask for advocates. And we've been overwhelmed by the support. Our website has over 100 testimonials. We're averaging about three testimonials over the last couple of months. We're averaging about you know, two or three testimonials every couple of days that are being put on the website. So we're very good at social media. We're very good at asking for testimonials, referrals, and advocates. And I think that's uh, paying huge dividends for us right
0: now. Paul, we'll take a quick break. And then when we get back, I want to dig deep into cold calling and what that looks like and how a person could be successful in utilizing that. So we'll be back after this message.
1: Think back to when you started your business. You had a dream. You had boundless passion. You wanted to create something different. There was a problem and you were going to solve it. Being an independent retailer is rewarding. rewarding but challenging, and there's a lot more to it than you ever imagined. Well, Lightspeed is here to help. With 45,000 customers around the world, we've helped countless entrepreneurs nail the business side of retail so they can spend time doing what they're passionate about. Join us for a six-week speaker series featuring a curated panel of experts that will answer some of retail's toughest questions and give you the edge you need to stay competitive. You have a passion, and we have a passion for technology inspired by you. Visit LightspeedHQ.com speaker series to learn more.
0: All right, we are back. This is the Enterprise Now podcast. I have with me Paul Newberger. He is the cold call coach. Paul, let's dig in. Tell me everything that I want to know about cold calling, why I need it, why it's important, and how you can help me get there.
1: Well, you haven't paid me enough to tell you everything about cold calling, so I'll scratch the surface for you there, LZ. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll 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 do what we can here for you. You
0: just you said you never get something unless you ask, right? I'm just taking your advice, Paul.
1: <laughs> well, well, right. So you asked, and I shot you down. So good try. But um, yeah, but I'll I'll certainly <laughs> I'll certainly give you a, a couple of nuggets. So um, you know, when I first started this business, it was weird. But it's almost like I got looked down upon, you know, I had a financial services practice that was growing. I was getting some residual income because that's what happens when you're a financial advisor. And then I decided to make this career change. Some people look down at me going, oh, cold calling. Well, they did that in the Dwight Eisenhower administration. Do they still do that? Or, oh, cold calling. Well, we would never need you because we work exclusively on referrals. Well, they wear that like that's a badge of honor. I look at that as a badge of stupidity. Now, let me clarify. If you work on referrals, that means you're doing something right. That's never a bad thing. Having individuals and organizations send us referral after referral is a huge testament to the great stuff that we're doing. So that's wonderful. But if you rely exclusively on that, you're nuts. And there's a reason for that. If you rely exclusively on referrals, you're at the mercy of everybody else. If you rely exclusively on referrals, you have no idea who they're going to be sending you. You're basically going to take whatever comes in. Could be a big case, could be a small case, could be somewhere in between. I am not comfortable living a reactive life. That, that Some people, that's fine. Not me. I am an alpha male with a bullet. I, I am not going to put my family's financial security, financial well-being in the hands of anybody other than myself. And referrals, although great, are very reactive. So I started to become cold caller, cold calling's the biggest defender. And it, a conversation would go like this. Somebody says, oh, we would never need you, little man. We don't cold call. We work exclusively on referrals. I say, that's great. Okay. Well, let's talk through this here real quick. Describe to me your ideal client organization. Let's say somebody says this. It's a manufacturing organization with 10,000 employees, $1 billion in annual revenue, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I say, Wow. That sounds like a pretty good organization. I can see why you're interested in that. Answer me this: How many calls do you receive from organizations that fit that profile, looking for your business? They look at you like you're an idiot. Well, none. Nobody. They'll never. They never call me. Okay, noted. Um, how many organizations like that get referred to you by your current satisfied clients? Say, well, none, I guess. Okay, interesting. Well, how about this one? How many organizations like that are knocking at your door saying, sir, I was hoping that you can help sell me a policy or sell me your services? Well, that really hasn't happened. And then I kind of look at them and i say, well, so what you're telling me is you're spending all your time, all your effort, all your day working with less than ideal clients. I mean, that doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't make those less than ideal clients not worthwhile. But why would you work harder when you can work smarter? If these organizations aren't going to call you, we need to call them. If these organizations aren't coming to you, we need to go to them. You know how many networking groups you have to go to to try to play the sixth degree of separation game to find a connection to an organization like that? How many thousands of referrals do you probably have to get to find somebody that might be anywhere nearly, remotely close to an organization like that? By the time you spend one year playing the six degrees of separation game and connecting the dots, I've already cold called my way in, become a known commodity, build a relationship with somebody, turn them into an advocate, offer value above and beyond the services that I'm paid to provide. And I've gotten unbelievable actionable intelligence that you'll never get because you were never on the inside.
0: Um, I was reading also in in your profile about the three pillars of cold call success. Are you able to share those with us?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the three pillars of cold call success are this number one, is strategy. So strategy is all the work that is done before you pick up the phone. It's not overly sexy. You know, when people think of cold calling, they think of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Wolf of Wall Street, Gordon Gecko, you know, these kind of things, the guys that are just very savvy and kind of get their way. Boiler room was just on HBO last night. Whenever boiler room is on, I drop what I'm doing. Just FYI. <laughs> um, the strategy is what happens before you pick up the phone. What you say and how you say it puts the prospect in a certain mental state. Did what I just say sound salesy? If it sounds salesy, I probably turn them off. Did what I just say pique their curiosity? If so, great. Did what I just say create urgency? Did what I just say provide high-level differentiation? Did what I just say offer profound value? If so, those are all good things. Based upon what I'm saying and how am I saying it, how is this going to be received at a deep psychological level? We spend a lot of time working with our clients on that, and that is a huge reason why they're so successful. Lastly, the third pillar is structure. And all all I mean by structure is scripts. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying a long-term reliance on scripts is stupid. You want your personality, your essence to come out on that phone call. But because our scripts are so original, so innovative, so outside the box, so unlike anything that you've ever experienced before we normally need to write them down practice them commit them to muscle memory so the three scripts that we develop with our clients in a very uh, customized way number one is the cold call itself what are you going to say when that person of interest or decision maker picks up the phone number two is the voicemail i don't know if you know this LZ. you're a smart dude but i don't know if you know this voicemail is latin it stands for graveyard of sales death. My clients, the first thing that they notice a discernible uptick in is their voicemail response rate. It's the easiest thing to fix, and most people realize, really, that's all you do, but it works very, very well. And then lastly, the last script is the gatekeeper script. How not only to bypass the gatekeeper, but turn him or her into an advocate on our behalf. So the three pillars, strategy, psychology, and structure, and we work with our clients to master all three.
0: Paul, we're um we're gonna shift gears a little bit here, and um, I- I'm curious to know if you have a favorite quote, things that uh, a quote that you uh, that you go by or that you live by.
1: Two of them, I believe it was James Dean that said this first one: "Dream as if you'll live forever, live as if you'll die today." And for me, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you want to dream big, you want to plan down the road, you want to have goals and things to shoot for. But you want to live today like it's the last day you're ever going to live. And that's one of the things that I do. I'm very hard on myself. I'm very good at what I do, but I'm very hard on myself. Before I give any presentation, I mean, again, I'm I'm a spiritual guy, so I pray. And one of the things that I ask for in prayer is just help me have the mindset that this is the last presentation I'm ever going to do in my life. Maybe my vocal cords give out after this. Maybe I die after this. Maybe nobody ever wants to hire me again after this. If this was my last seminar, if this was my last training presentation and I knew it going in, how, how would I approach it differently? How different would it feel? So I try to approach every presentation like it's going to be my last. And that James Dean quote really speaks to that. I think the other one, and I don't know who said this, I, I've, I've seen multiple people attributed to this quote, but as a business owner and entrepreneur, I mean this with all due sincerity. My life sucks. Now, all I mean when I say my life sucks, is I'm up at 3 o'clock every morning because I have to. I go to bed at 10 o'clock every night because I have to. There's no such thing as an easy day when you're a business owner and entrepreneur. It's a calling to do this. I mean, we all do it because we love it, but let's not kid ourselves. This is a tough life. So the quote that comes to my mind that kind of warms my heart a little bit is something like this. It basically states, I live the life today that nobody wants to, So I can live the life tomorrow that nobody gets to. So the James Dean quote, just to to help me live life to the fullest. And then that second quote to help me get through those days that are particularly stressful.
0: Awesome. 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 That is awesome. So we've been talking a lot about strategy, success, meeting goals, what that means, what it looks like, how to get there. Let's spend the last few minutes that we have together talking about the opposite of success, failure. Talk about your biggest failure.
1: So that first requires me to define failure. And my definition of failure is not getting knocked down or falling down. It's a refusal to get back up after you've fallen down. So missing a goal is not failure. Not meeting expectations is not failure. Hearing a no is not failure. If I tried something, didn't succeed, and quit, that's failure. So, for me, my biggest failure would have to be something that I didn't see through, something that I quit on, something that I didn't get back off the mat for. And I think my biggest failure in life would have been in high school. I... Love baseball. Baseball's always been my favorite sport, and I've always been quite good at baseball. And I remember I, I enjoyed baseball my freshman and sophomore year, and I took my junior year off. And I wish I knew then what I know now, but it was the fear of not succeeding that made baseball not fun. I was a good player, but I was sick to death every game. I don't want to strike out. I don't want to make an error. I don't want to live up to expectations, and I couldn't deal with that feeling baseball wasn't fun anymore. Little league was fun, but high school wasn't fun anymore. So I quit, I quit my junior year and I realized how much I missed it. So I attempted a comeback and that's tough. I missed an entire year. I missed one year of varsity baseball, a whole year. I practiced hard uh, in the year that I was off the last couple months when I realized I made a mistake and whether or not you believe it, it's true. I earned the starting shortstop position my senior year uh, on the varsity team. After taking a whole year off, I worked myself back up to that position. I, don't, I haven't told many people this, uh, what I'm about to tell you, but it answers your question honestly. It was the second game of the year, the second game of the year, and I don't know what happened. I made five errors at shortstop. Five. I, I, I don't know where my head was. I don't know what happened. I had a very good first game but I stunk that second game. I made five errors. I quit the next day. I quit the very next day. And I've never forgiven myself for that.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Paul.
1: My coach took a risk on me. My coach gave me an opportunity. I earned that opportunity, but I only earned it because he took a risk on me. I earned that starting shortstop position. I had one bad game and I quit. I'm 34 years old now. I, ha- I have never lived that down. I'm sh- ashamed of what I what I did. I feel bad for letting my coach down. That is a life lesson that I hope my kids learn from desperately. But that's time, I'll never get back. And I would say that was my biggest failure in life.
0: Given that, I think it's obvious what you would have done differently. Yeah. But I, it's always interesting when I look at my life and the way things have played out to see how the different things that happened in my life shaped where I am now. Uh, it's, it's, it's just interesting to see how some of those failures, some of the things that I thought I would do, but didn't end up doing kind of, uh, or really in a way shaped where I am today. So, um, speak to that a little bit who, what if you hadn't quit or where, how do you think that would have played into, um, the, the Paul today and, and talk a little bit about, uh, bouncing back from failure and, and using that as motivation to, uh, to learn from.
1: Yeah, and it's a good question. Though it's impossible to answer. I mean, it's like the, the butterfly effect. You know what they say: if you go back in time, a butterfly flaps its wings in a different direction, and the course of human history is altered. Hindsight is twenty twenty. I mean, everybody tells you that. I, I I believe that now that I'm a little older and wiser, I still got a lot a long way to go. But as I'm older and wiser, I just believe that life doesn't do anything to you. Life does everything for you, and it's all about perception. You know, if if, if you're the victim all the time, and you, you say, "Oh, everybody's mean to me, or nobody cares about me." Well, then you're, you're going to have this loathing pity part, and you never learn from it. But if if you look at, well, I missed out. I missed out on this deal. Well, that didn't happen to me; it happened for me. Uh, well, what can I learn from this? How can I get a little bit better? Um, you know, uh, it, it didn't work out in this relationship. Well, she didn't dump. She didn't dump me. Uh, to me, she dumped me for me. Okay, great. How can I improve the next round? How how can I make sure that I'm in a better position to uh, not let this happen again? I mean, if you're a four person as opposed to a two person, the world is your oyster. So, you know, I mean, I can go back and look at a a ton of different things. I I think probably the the number one thing that I can point to, just to answer your question directly, as I said earlier, I double majored in biology, chemistry, I minored in physics. Well, I'm a sales coach now. How the heck does that happen? Well, I mean, I, I sat for my MCAT. My senior my senior, yeah, my senior year of college, I did it one year later than I was supposed to because uh, I didn't realize I wanted to get into medicine until my sophomore year. And um, the funny thing was, I, kn- I didn't study for it. I didn't study for the MCAT. I didn't want to study. I didn't have fun studying. I was starting to have doubts that this was the field I wanted to get into. You asked me earlier, how do you feel? How do you know when something's right? You just know. That's why I did the phone a every single shift. I loved it. It was fun. That's why I never studied for the MCAT. And I started to think, gosh, if I want to be a doctor, I got to get my act together here. I sat for it. For a guy that never studied for it, I actually did okay, but my score was not going to get me into any prestigious medical school, and I didn't care. It was the weirdest thing. I didn't care. And I think, had I studied for the MCAT, had I took it seriously, had I really put my energy into that, my life would have been profoundly different. But I was kind of apathetic to it, didn't really care, and needed something to do With my score wasn't very high. Got into fundraising and the rest is
0: history. It's, it's funny. We, we talked a little bit earlier about leadership and how, uh, how important it is to set the tone and, and, and how you're guiding your team. Um, and again, you mentioned you're, you're a man of faith. I am as well. It's just, uh, amazing to see how, how, how patient God is with us and, and letting us try different things and take the long way around, uh, just to get us to the point where, where we need to be. So I can definitely identify with, uh, trying different things and, 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 and not maybe succeeding the way I thought things would work out, but then at the end of it, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. So that's a that's amazing to me to see uh, that that's happening in other people's lives as well.
1: Well, and, and LZ, if I may, is what you said was was very insightful just there. And you know, I'm I, in my training, I do a lot of visual imagery because I think more people are visual learners. And you know, as you are, as you just said, you know, I'm I'm around other guys of faith as well, and you know, sometimes you, you hear that where people say, you know, if God really loved me, why would he let this happen? You know, if God really loved me, why is my life so hard? And, you know, I understand why people ask that question. I, I think that's a sign of not a lot of spiritual sophistication, but I understand why people say that. So the, the, the visual imagery that I kind of conjure up, now, like I said, I'm a father of three. I got a four year old, a teen year old, and a one month old. And I kind of look at it this way. You know how when your baby, uh, cries in the middle of the night, and parents rush in to soothe the baby. Or after a while, pediatricians and other psychologists will say, don't always do that. And do it at first, but after a while, you've got to stop, because the baby's just going to realize, when I cry, Dad's going to fix it. When I cry, Mom's going to fix it. So what they tell you to do is, when the baby cries, let the baby cry. <laughs> Holy crap, <cow, laughs> is that hard. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've sat outside the door of my baby, listening to him sob, listening to him scream, Daddy, Daddy, I need you. And I'm sitting there fidgeting nervously. All I want to do is bust open the door and hug him, but I know it's best for him if I don't.
0: Absolutely,
1: That's the way that I believe God is with us. We cry for him. We we want that immediate comfort. We want the pain taken away, but God's on the other side of the door realizing he wants to come in right away. Believe me, he wants to make it all better, but he knows it's best for us if he doesn't do that right off the bat, because we've learned from these things. We're better because of these things. We're stronger because of these things. So, again, the two versus four. I'm not letting my my son pry himself to sleep uh, to do anything to him. I'm doing that for him. And I think that is exactly the way that God is with us.
0: Wow. We could we could take, uh, take offline and talk about that all night long. But in the interest of time, <laughs> I'm going to move uh, into uh, a few other questions. I'd, I'd like to know, If you have one piece of advice to give someone just starting out on their entrepreneurial business ownership journey, what would that advice be?
1: The word that just pops into my head is belief. You have got to believe in what you're doing and you have got to be fortified by that belief because you're going to have a lot of people telling you, are you sure? You're going to have a lot of people telling you, "I, I think you're making a mistake. You're going to have a lot of situations where things don't go well. The money's drying up. The pipeline is not there and that doubt starts to creep in. And if you don't have a firm belief in what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it, you, you're going to cave. I, I've seen a lot of well-meaning, good people cave after the first couple signs of trouble. They, they couldn't stomach the uncertainty of the financial roller coaster. They heard from people that love them and trust them, this isn't the safe play. You shouldn't be doing this. Now, if you're living life going for the safe play, you're never going to get to where you want to go. That's like investing in bonds and thinking you're going to make $100 million in any given year. I mean, if if you're willing to take the risk, there's going to be that reward. You have got to believe with every fiber of your being in what you're doing, because if you don't, if there's any soft spot, if there's any weakness, that is going to be exploited and torn to shreds by all of the resistance you're going to face when you first start a business.
0: That is superb advice. you have to know your why um, it, it's not you you mentioned earlier entrepreneurship is a is a calling it, It's not for the faint of heart or the people who just uh, want to do it for what seems like uh, the glory it, It's truly uh, something that uh, it, it's a calling
1: to your point I mean if if you're asking somebody why do you want to start this business and they say because it'll be fun, they're not going to last because I'll be honest it, it's not fun. All the, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very passionate about what I do, but it's not fun responding to 100 emails in the middle of the night. It's not fun knowing that I have no guaranteed financial security. It's not fun putting in 90 hours a week. It's not fun not seeing my kids for three days in a row. It's not fun having that uh, sickness in your stomach when a big deal closes and you don't have a guaranteed income. If you want to start a business because you think it's going to be fun, you got to get a reality check. It should be fun. Once, you, know, you should have fun in the process, but if that's your number one reason for doing this, you're never going to last.
0: A couple of last questions, Paul, before we, uh, we let you go. Uh, what golden nuggets can you give the enterprisers community, uh, insights or, or mindsets that'll help them uh, launch or grow their business?
1: Well, I mean, I, I kind of alluded to the belief. I mean, if you have that, it's amazing how somebody that really believes in their convictions, really believes in something that's amazing how inspirational that is, other people start to believe. Your, the bankers start to believe. People that you want to have join your team start to believe. Your spouse starts to believe. Your customers start to believe. So, not only just believe in it, but espouse that belief. Lead with passion. And that's the other thing. That's what I mean by people say, well, it'd be fun. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, sure, it'd be fun to take a vacation too, but I mean, if you're not If you don't believe in this and you're not passionate about it with every fiber of your being, it's just going to be so tough. And you got to lead with that passion. There's, I don't know what your viewers or what your listeners are going to do following this, but if everybody, just to see what I mean, if you go to my website, my website is coldcallcoach.net, coldcallcoach.net. I've got tabs on the top of the website and one of them is the services tab. It just talks about the services that we provide. Scroll down and there's a button that says keynote speaker because I also provide keynote speaking opportunities. Click that and watch the four-minute speakers demo that's on there. Towards the end, you're going to see something where I'm, I'm talking and I'm, I'm, I'm saying, you know, nobody wants to get a call from a salesman. And I'm pretending that I'm a potential prospect. And I say, man, it'd be great if a sales guy calls me. And then I'm pretending the phone's ring, And then I go, Whoo! kind of like that. Like I just went off this big, woo. I never would have done that a year ago. Because I was so obsessed about looking professional. I was so obsessed about being conservative while speaking. I was so obsessed about being the image of what I thought everybody was supposed to be. And then you know what? Because I'm so passionate up there. I have so much fun up there. I, I'm jumping. I'm clicking my heels. I'm, I'm flailing my arms. And when I made the, the decision to just be myself, guess what happened? I booked way more gigs. I made a lot more money. I started getting a lot more opportunities because people were responding to my passion and responding to the the comfort and self-security that I felt about myself. So you have to be passionate. You have to be you, and you have to believe, and that's the best advice I can give.
0: Awesome. Thanks for that. Well, Paul, we um, are going to wrap this up. And uh, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. I I know that I have a couple of pages of notes. So I know that uh, the listeners are going to get a lot out of uh, this interview, this conversation. So how can folks reach out to you if they want more information?
1: Sure. So a couple of reasons, uh, a couple of ways, I should say The, the best way is the website. Website is our central repository for everything. We talk about the services that we provide. We have our success stories from our clients, testimonials, uh, you, you can um, actually order some of our products directly online, watch our videos. And again, I'll say it again. The website is coldcallcoach.net. That is the best way to, to start this process. If you want to have more of a direct conversation with me or somebody on my team, uh, I'll give you our phone number. Best way to reach us if you want to talk to somebody directly. And that number is 414-313-8338. Check us out on the web. Give us a call. And uh, we'd love to be of service to you guys in some way.
0: Awesome, awesome, awesome! Now, this is probably one of the most important questions: What kind of ties do you like?
1: <laughs> ties? Yes. Okay, my man. Now if I took you this long to start asking about my tie collection. <laughs> what is the matter with you? So, so there's a couple of things. I am old school in the sense that I don't like some of these new fashions that are going. I am not a bow tie guy. I think bow ties look ridiculous. Okay, so if you're a bow tie lover out there, no offense, but I think that looks ridiculous. So I'm not a fan of bow ties and I don't like the skinny ties. I've got a big head, physically a big <laughs> head. And it looks even bigger with one of those stupid skinny ties. So I, li- I like the traditional ties, kind of with the fat noose and, you know, kind of your, your normal ties. So I'm not into these new hipster trends, but I love ones with bright colors. So like the oranges, the purples, the pinks, stuff stuff that really pops. Those are the ones that really get me going.
0: Gotcha. So guys, if you're listening go to um to paul's website reach out to him and send him a tie he loves ties so we want to make sure we get paul a tie
1: but no bow ties cuz they look ridiculous
0: <laughs> we don't want paul to look ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> Well all right, thank you Paul so much and and guys, this has been an, a, a really a rich 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 uh conversation. So take your time, listen to it a couple of times. Reach out to Paul, let him know where you heard the conversation and that um that he did a wonderful job and that we appreciate him pouring out, giving us his time and the uh the information that he shared with us. So, thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you next week.